Do you desire to raise your kids to be critical thinkers in a world of utter confusion? Are you unsure how to give your children a solid biblical foundation when the rest of the world seems intent to destroy it at every turn? Well, then we are so glad you're joining us for today's episode. I'm your host, Katie Morgan, and welcome to Parenting with Ginger Hubbard. Ginger is the best-selling author of Don't Make Me Count to Three, Wise Words for Moms, and I Can't Believe You Just Said That. She speaks at women's events, parenting conferences, and homeschool conventions across the country. You can check out her parenting resources and find out when she's speaking in or near your area at gingerhubbard.com. Long before my husband and I had kids of our own, I knew I wanted to be a homeschooling mom. But when my oldest was ready to start kindergarten, I had just had our third child, who we affectionately referred to as the baby monster. Homeschooling didn't seem possible with a kindergartner, a toddler, and a baby monster. I was so thankful that a friend introduced me to BJU Press. Their all-in-one curriculum resources gave me the confidence to homeschool at a time when it didn't seem possible. Their video lessons that, by the way, are engaging and taught by experienced teachers, those videos were a time and a sanity saver for me. Best of all, their K-5 through grade 12 all-in-one curriculum options are rooted in a solid biblical worldview. To learn more about BJU Press, go to BJUPressHomeschool.com and see what they have to offer. You'll find their parent-led resources as well as independent learning materials at BJUPressHomeschool.com. And tell them the baby monster sent you. Well, hey there, listeners. We have such a treat for you guys today. Once again, we have Dr. Renton Rathman on uh, to share his wisdom on the topic this time of critical thinking, uh, particularly teaching kids to think critically. Dr. Rathman is especially qualified to discuss this with us today. He is the director of the Center for Biblical Worldview at Bob Jones University. He has been a classroom teacher for over two decades, and his teaching experience has included both secular and Christian colleges and universities. Renton holds a BS in English education and an MA in interpretive speech from Bob Jones University. He has also received an MFA in creative writing from Minnesota State University, an MA in philosophy from the University of Toledo, a THM from Puritan Reformed Theology Seminary, Theological Seminary, sorry, and has a PhD. This is this is a mouthful. And I'm has a PhD. <laughs> I know, a PhD is the last one. PhD in apologetics <laughs> from Westminster <laughs> Theological Seminary. All that to say, Renton is a really smart dude. <laughs> and just a fun fact, because you guys know that Katie and I are huge fans of homeschooling. Renton and his wife homeschooled their son, Daniel, who is now in college. Renton, welcome back to the show. Ah, thank you for having me again. Renton, every time I read your bio, I'm amazed, first of all, that you sit through that every time you interview somewhere. <laughs> like, that's a lot. Um, but I'm amazed by the amount of time that you spend or have spent in the classroom. And I'm kind of surprised you still have your vision from all the time under the fluorescent lighting. Oh, like, yes. Can you see? <laughs> it is kind of Well, he's wearing glasses. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you got a nice fluorescent tan. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Well, in all seriousness, I'm so grateful that you're here to share your wisdom and expertise with us today, because as Ginger said, we live in a society that seemingly no longer values critical thinking. And correct me in a minute if I'm wrong, because I don't want to put words in your mouth, but many teachers and professors no longer teach critical thinking to their students. So Renton, can you give us a brief definition of critical thinking and then also give us your opinion on why our society has strayed away from teaching it, if you believe, in fact, that we have? Mm. 
So I would, I guess I would say a definition for critical thinking, which is very interesting because, and I, I'll tell you the definition <laughs> in a minute, but it just reminded me, uh, when I was teaching in secular colleges and universities, we would have um, this in-service right before the, the start of the year. And in-service was the administration had you uh, and you had to, to go to these, these little meetings and they would, they would hire some person, usually some kind of uh, motivational speaker of some sort, to talk to us about critical thinking. And they would go on for hours about critical thinking, making us do all these you know, ridiculous uh, uh, exercises and all this stuff. And by the end, you realize they never told you what critical thinking was. And no one mm. talked about it. It was like this big secret that everyone loved this thing that no one knew what it was. It's, you know, so, so <laughs> defining critical thinking. And this is going to sound um, silly, but I think this really does capture what it is. Critical thinking is thinking about the process of thinking so that you can think more efficiently. Thinking. That has hurt my brain. Yeah. <laughs> my mind just exploded. Well, I actually got that one. <laughs> What's weird about it is that um, it, it's what really does, you know, there's lots of things that make us stand apart from animals. But an animal mm. can never think back about the process of how he or, she, you know, how it thinks. Mm -hmm. You know, we, we are able to think about the process we're using to think. I mean, that's amazing. Mm. Um, we, we, we have names for this. We call it logic, or we call it reasoning, or you know, we call it uh, processing. But whatever, the, whatever we want to call it, we are able to think about it and decide, and this is what's interesting, to decide whether the process we're using is a good or bad process or efficient or inefficient process. Um, there's a judgment going on. And that is an amazing thing that God has allowed us to have as a way to bear his image. And I think that there is a sense in which if I were Satan, I would want um, Christians to bear God's image as little as possible. And hmm. so how do I get how do I get anybody to stop bearing God's image or to have less of an image bearing process? I would try to get them to think less, um, not hmm. more. <laughs> um, hmm. And so you know what would that look like? Well, eventually you would have to get to the point where a woman who's about to become a Supreme Court justice wouldn't even know how to define the word woman. <laughs> That's what I would get yep. to. And, yep. and it's not yep. even because of lack of, of, you know, her brain power. It's that there is such a pressure that we have placed, you know, in our society on anyone that would make a judgment that it is almost commendable to not make one. And critical mm. thinking begins with judgments, judgments about the process of my thinking. And if, and if, we, re, if we reward people uh, to stop doing this judgment work, um, you can imagine 
what would happen to our society. We'd be, we'd be the most um, irrational society known to man. I mean, thank goodness we don't live in that kind of a society, right? <laughs> I was about to say. Uh, that sounds a little familiar. <laughs> We're teetering on the edge there, Renton. I don't know. <laughs> Uh, well, Renton, the last time we had you on the show, you talked to us about biblical worldview. And listeners, if you missed that episode, by the way, you'll definitely want to go back and, and hear that one. It's called Parenting from a Biblical Worldview, and we'll have Heather put a link to that in the show notes. Renton, you defined biblical worldview as God's explanation of God's world through God's word for God's image bearers. And I love that. So let me just allow that. Let me say it again so that we can allow that to really sink in. God's explanation of God's world through God's word for God's image bearers. So how can this biblical worldview help our children to better use critical thinking skills? Mm. I'll begin with a, with a story. So um, one of the classes I used to teach when I taught uh, secular schools, um, secular universities and colleges was uh, ethics. And on the first day, I would, uh, you know, the students are there, and um, they're all excited about learning about ethics. They think they're going to get this really deep thing going. And I just start with a very simple question. How many in here think it's wrong to murder? And, uh, you know, thankfully, almost every hand goes up. You know, there's always one, you know. <laughs> Not sure. Uh, the kid you don't let during your class again ever. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> the one you look behind your shoulder on your way to the car to make sure they're not following. Right, that's scary. <laughs> so, uh, so, you know, they all seem to agree. Yeah, it's wrong to murder. I said, great, great. I'm glad we all agree on that. Okay, so my next question is, why? Why is it wrong to murder? And they just stare at me. And I say, well, okay, let me rephrase the question. What makes it wrong to murder someone? And they just stare at me. And if you've ever, you know, if you've ever taught your children or you ever taught in a classroom, this, uh, kids always do this when they, they'll rephrase the question thinking they're answering the question. <laughs> so they say, well, you just can't go up to someone and murder them. And like, well, actually, yes. Yes, you can. Uh, it happens quite a bit. You'd be surprised. Um, and I say, okay, well, no, you, you, you're, well, you're taking their freedom away. And like, yes, yeah, you're taking their freedom away, you know, of living. And uh, so what makes that bad? You know, what's, what makes that wrong? And they just, they have, and then, then eventually you get one kid that says, well, it's against the law. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, mm -hmm. against the law, good, good. Uh, so you're saying that if we were on an island somewhere where there were no laws, then, then it's okay to murder. And like, well, no. I'm like, okay, so what makes it wrong? <laughs> so for a while, you know, I mean, you would think that, well, the real problem is that these kids don't have a biblical worldview. Mm -hmm. and, and that's true, but I think it, it's even deeper than that, uh, if there is such a thing. Um, they don't even know how to think critically. Right. I mean, a secular answer might be something like, well, actually, Dr. Rathbun, there's nothing wrong with murdering. It's just disadvantageous for the, for the propagating of uh, evolution and uh, being able to have civilized uh, societies. I mean, that's an answer, right? I mean, it's something. Mm. Um, at least they were able to try and make a judgment, but they couldn't even make a judgment. 
Because in today's classroom, especially in the secular world, judgments are evil. And so you, you can't, you know, once you make a judgment, what you need is a criteria. Um, and that is where a biblical worldview allows your, your children to think critically. Because critical thinking, if it begins with judgments, must have a criteria for the judgment to take place. Why is it wrong to murder? Well, what's my criteria? Well, I know the Bible says something about thou shalt not murder, but why does it say thou shalt not murder? Well, you get deeper into the Old Testament and you realize, well, murder is a way of denigrating God's image. And so mm. if I denigrate God's image, then I'm going to be punished. My life is going to be taken away. And so there's something special about a human because there's something special about image bearing. And there's something special about image bearing because there's something special about God. Mm-hmm. And that kind of criteria really allows your children to be able to make good critical thinking judgments that people might disagree with. No one's arguing that. But at least they're, they're making the judgments necessary to have good reason to believe something with good justification. And those, those are those three pieces that you have to have if you're going to have good thinking skills with your, with your children. Has to, you have to have knowledge that you, that you know is true, but you have to believe it's true. And thirdly is that big one. Can I justify what I believe to be true? And that mm. justification has to start with that biblical worldview. Mm. That's good. And, and I love the kind of questions that you ask your students. That's the same sort of questions that we need to ask our children. You know, wa- get them to think deeper about that. I was just thinking, you know, we talk about my wise words for mom's chart, which has heart probing questions to help children understand uh, that the outward behaviors that they're struggling with are the results of the sin in their hearts. Uh, Renton, you need to have a chart, I don't know, wise words for helping your kids think critically (laughs) and have some and have some probing questions like that, that really help them think instead of either just staring blankly at you or just giving you some flippant answer that they really don't even know how they came to that answer. Mm. Mm. That's right. Yeah, so that's good. Uh, Renton, in our last episode, we gave some sobering statistics about the pervasiveness of secular beliefs, even within the Christian church. And we'll put links in the show notes to some of the research that's out there. But the gist of it is that most professing evangelical Christians don't believe that the Bible is the true and inerrant word of God. And so by logical extension, they believe that anyone's truth is just as valid as my truth, since the truth can't be known. Okay, now, Renton, I'm going to risk sounding like an idiot here, but I want you to help those of us who don't have half a dozen theology and philosophy degrees. My degree is in broadcasting, which, as we all know, requires no critical thinking skills whatsoever. <laughs> uh, but I'm bum bum. Anyway, to claim, to claim there's absolutely... Sorry, to claim that there is no absolute truth is a logical fallacy because to deny the truth is to make a claim about the truth. And I like the way Thomas Aquinas put it in the 13th century. The existence of truth is self-evident for whoever denies the existence of truth grants that truth does not exist. And if truth does not exist, then the proposition 
truth doesn't exist is true. And if there is anything true, there must be truth. That's yeah, that, 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 that one my hurts brain my brain. Hurt. I know, I know. I have a hard time. I do have a hard time wrapping my mind around philosophical arguments, but this one seems pretty straightforward. But sadly, many young people and adults abandon some or all of their beliefs in historic Christianity the moment they are met with resistance. So Renton, if we teach critical thinking skills to our children, will this help them determine and then hopefully defend the truth of God's word? Mm. Yeah, I, I have... Um, wrestled with this for a long time because uh, one of the classes I used to teach was logic. And um, it seems to be, you know, one of those archaic, you know, classes that no one wants to take because it's, uh, you know, who needs that anymore? Um, Mm. But what it does uh, for the thinking of our children, particularly over when it comes to scripture, and what we believe truth to be. Um, logic is a, a way of helping our children organize their belief system. So if you don't believe in truth, then logic has no purpose. Logic is designed to tell you what's consistent about the propositions you think are true. There's nothing in logic to circle back to see if those propositions you think are true are true. Um, so logic is an organizer, but it can only its use for organizing our ideas are only useful if what we're put, putting into that logical organization, if those things we're putting in are true. Mm. And when it comes right down to it, um, I think what our world is starting to discover with this whole what's true for you is true for you is true for me is true for me. I mean, that used to be a thing in the 90s. Um, And then it kind of went away for a little bit. And then with the gender, LGBTQ, and all of that uh, sin that came um, to be so accepted in our world, this whole truth thing came back. This whole, well, to me, I am a woman Um, I don't look like one, I'm not biologically one or whatever, but that's my truth. And now I become the dictator of my little world, and you have to now use my pronouns, you have to now acknowledge it, otherwise you're a bigot and I will get the world to get on you and and destroy you. Um, And what I know is, uh, when it comes to what I can say I know, Um, has become a great mystery even to our kids who live in this world where this question is coming up, you know, with fifth graders, you know, on a, at a park who are, Mm -hmm. who's, who's, has two moms or, um, or has a, someone that looks like a woman sitting over, but it ain't a woman. Um, And that's, that's their mom slash dad or whatever. Um, and this is becoming part of the talk of very young kids. So how do we get them to understand what determines the truth value of anything? And if we don't have our young, our young kids understanding that through God's word, I can know what's true because of a person that we call the Holy Spirit, and this is a real person that 
acts on me and is able to make me believe what is really true about the Son of God and what's true about the Father. I mean, you understand that truth, um, and I know this sounds unrelated, but truth has a lot to do with understanding the Trinity of our God. That there is something very valuable about understanding the Trinity. That through the whole, the work of the Holy, the power of the Holy Spirit helps us know who, you know, the thoughts, if I can put it this way, um, uh, you know, 1 Corinthians, um, the Holy Spirit goes through the mind of the Father and communicates that through the Son. I mean, this is, this is so important for our kids. Um, you know, I, I hate to use this word because people think I'm talking like a Catholic, but when I, um, it's very helpful to catechize our kids. Um, mm-hmm. The term catechism did not come from the Catholics. Uh, Luther was the one that created a catechism for children um, to, help them, to help them get those basics down of beliefs that you need to have for truth to mean anything. Um, and the Catholics, it scared them so much um, that they said, we need our catechism. And so they developed a catechism for their children. And this happened throughout the Reformation um, because people understood if, if faith is to, um, is to continue, it continues through the children. Um, you know, if we lose our children, we are, we're losing everything. Um, the most wicked men in the world understood this, uh, down to Hitler himself, said, give me the youth and I have, I have everything I need. I mean, so, you know, catechizing your children, whatever that means to you, helping them see, okay, who made you? And, you know, they say, well, God made me. What else did God make? God made all things. Um, you know, these kind of question and answers are so good for children because you are creating building blocks of absolute truth that sticks in, their, sticks in them, and you don't have to worry about whether it will stick. You just have to pray that the Holy Spirit would make it stick. And in, those kind, in, that kind of a, in this kind of a world that we live in, we really need that kind of work done with our children. Mm, that's really good. And we've talked about uh, catechisms and the value of using those with kids uh, several times on our show. So mm-hmm. for those of our listeners who might be listening that you maybe have never heard of that, uh, we will definitely have Heather put a link in the show notes to some good catechism books mm-hmm. that Katie and I like. All right. So written statistically, we know that more and more professing evangelicals hold secular beliefs that completely contradict the Bible. In our last episode with you, we quoted a study from the Cultural Research Center at Arizona Christian University, but I think it bears repeating here. Uh, 52% of professing evangelical Christians reject absolute moral truth. 61% of Christians do not read the Bible on a daily basis, and 75% believe that people are basically good, despite the fact that even the most basic gospel presentation we learned in our three-year-old Sunday school class would contradict that belief. Renton, tell us in your own words, please, how a Christian's thinking process differs from an unbeliever's thinking process. Mm. It starts in Romans chapter 1 verse 18. It talks about the wrath of God is kindled against all unrighteousness. 
speaking of the unrighteousness in all people. So this is speaking to all human beings. God's wrath is kindled against those who are um, unrighteous. And then it says that they, it's not that they don't know the truth, it's that they do know the truth and they suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Mm. Um, This is at the heart of what my dissertation was about when I was uh, completing my PhD, was this very question. You know, where does an unbeliever's thought process begin? Where does it start? Um, And this is what we call epistemological question. It's a question of when an unbeliever comes to uh, begin his thought process, what are the conditions that are already there that start that thought process? And what we find as we keep reading in Romans chapter 1 into verse 19, it says, you know, they did know the truth, that God made it clear to them and put it in them. The truth that there is a God, and not just a God, but they know the God because they know his eternal attributes and they Mm. know his divine nature. They know the God. And this is what makes every unbeliever without excuse. If I can put it this way, every single person that's in hell today is in hell because they knew and they rejected it. Um, They suppressed the truth. No one is in hell today that's able to say, I just didn't know. If only so-and-so told me, or if only this happened, then I would know and I would have believed, but I never knew. Nowhere um, in Scripture in hell, is there anyone like that? Because everyone is without excuse. Now, that's an important statement because that protects God's, you know, God as one who is holy. But it also protects what we believe about scripture, that it's all absolute truth because it's inspired by God. So it's inerrant, there's no mistakes, and it's infallible. It's incapable of mistakes. If that's true, What we find in Romans chapter 1 is that every unbeliever begins his thought process already suppressing the truth of God. And it leads, um, if you keep reading Romans chapter 1, it leads to the ultimate in our, if I can put it this way, depravity. So, when you, read the, when you read Romans chapter 1, at the very end, it starts listing off these terrible, terrible things about, you know, where, where uh, unbelievers end up going. They, they, they hate their parents, they, they murder, they steal, homosexuality, all of these terrible sins are listed. And people look at that and they say, well, you know, not everyone does every one of those sins, so we're not all as bad as we could be. And I would like to say that that's not true. I think we all are as bad as we could be. And I think that that comes out in Romans chapter 1, verse 21, where it says, we did not honor God or give him thanks. That is the absolute worst thing you can do. And from there, God gave them over to a reprobate mind that led to all those other things. We may not express our sin in every way possible 
but our sin is absolutely as bad as it could be because we don't honor God and we don't give him thanks. So this means, I say all that to say this, this means when an unbeliever looks at a tree and says, and we agree that it has DNA in it, it, it participates in photosynthesis, it is an organism. And, you know, an unbeliever and a believer agree on all those things, but how are any of those things possible? A believer gives God thanks because he's not suppressing the truth and unrighteousness. A believer can never give God thanks, never give him honor for the tree. An unbeliever. I, yeah, I'm sorry, an unbeliever, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so... Yeah. So with this, you, you really see if thinking begins already suppressing the truth, you might come to some things that we, you know, we, we all understand you know, about trees, but you'll never be able, in a critically thinking way, be able to trace it back to justify how it is possible that a tree has DNA, how it is possible that a tree is able to, to take photons and make energy out of it. That's insane. It doesn't make any sense. <laughs> But we can justify it by giving God thanks. They justify it through evolution or any other thing they can think of that isn't giving God thanks. And that's the big difference. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, and I think that's the point that you made before, maybe this episode, maybe last episode, I'm getting them confused now. But, you know, you made the point about learning subjects from a biblical worldview because even, I mean, we can't learn science apart from understanding God's creation. I mean, it just, it doesn't make any sense. Same with mathematics. And that was something you really opened my eyes to, that math is not neutral. That's right. As much as we, we like to think it is, it really isn't. Understanding science, understanding math, all of this from a biblical worldview is crucial. And we can't think critically, especially not biblically, without that. Boy. Mm. Yep. You are right on, because that is... I mean, that's at the heart. I mean, at the heart of mathematics, we don't even know what a number is. I mean, what right. is a number? Uh, you know, right. you might be imagining the number one in your mind right now, but you that's a symbol of a number. You take the symbol away, mm. and what are you looking at? We don't know what we're looking at. And the, the idea is that, you know, Scripture actually tells you what a number is. Mm. Um, I don't have time to go into all that right now, but it it really kind of makes a correlation between... Uh, naming things as an image bearer, because that's what God does. He names things. And naming quantity is how we number things. We name quantity. Well, that's image bearing. And it's mm. image bearing that's designed to obey God's commandments of, of, uh, of subduing and ruling over the earth. There is no subduing and ruling without this image bearing work of naming quantity. And here's the thing, you know, what does an unbeliever tell a kid that says, why do we have to learn this? You know, <laughs> I have a calculator. Why do I have to learn this? Uh, they don't know. I don't know. You just have to. Uh, we, have, we can answer, you have to learn math because you need to learn how to, how to bear God's image well, and you need to learn how to obey his commandments of subduing and ruling over the earth. So you need math. That's awesome. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That is the oh, ultimate I'm glad you answer. took us down that road. <laughs> yeah. Yep. That's good. 
Well, Renton, when I talked to you back in February, last February, about coming on our show, I made it a point to say that many of our listeners are not homeschooling families. Obviously, Ginger and I are huge homeschooling advocates, and you're a huge homeschooling advocate as well. You and your wife homeschooled your son all the way through, and you also have the professional responsibility to oversee biblical worldview content with BJU Homeschool Press, as well as the entire university. Um, But in our final question... Let's consider parents from all educational backgrounds. So whether their kids are homeschooled in a private Christian school and public school, whatever the case may be, how important is it to train our children in biblical worldview? And how can we do that even in the midst of an educational environment that is hostile to God? Because let's face it, whether we homeschool or not, we're all living in a culture that is hostile to God. That's right. Um, I would say this. Uh, let's say we have a family, good Christian family, sending their kids to the local public school. And, um, and let's even say the public school might be run by you know, a Christian principal that has Christian teachers. But the, the information is still going to be given as if it's neutral. Um, mm. And so... What you have to think about if you have children at a public school is, how do I program my children to engage that world? So Mm -hmm. when they come home, if you are not having evening meals together, you need to make that happen. You need to eat together and then uh, create a process where you start asking questions to your kids. What did you learn today? And uh, I don't know. you know, and they'll start making things up. But you have to say, no, I need to know because we need to think about how, you know, what you learned and how you learned it. And that way we can start talking about what you need, how you need to think about this. You know, you may have learned, you know, your some mathematical um, proofs today. Well, what do you think about that? Where do proofs come from? Why do we have proofs? What is it, what does it prove anyway? Uh, you know, it is, when you have a, you know, when, you, when you're doing math, you expect the answer to be true. What do you think that means? And you, you have to start programming your children uh, with questions so that they get used to those things being a part of how they learn. And so when they're sitting in class, they have gotten so used to mom and dad's questions that as they're listening, they're starting to ask themselves those questions. Um, mm. And it becomes a way of thinking. Um, if you are not engaging your kids or finding time, you're, um, you, you run a big risk, if I can put it that way. Um, school, if, if you have your kid in any school, the school has them for six, you know, six hours a day, sometimes even more, and you have them for the couple hours before they fall asleep, and you know, maybe on the weekends, how are you using that time well? Redeeming the time, mm. as Scripture says, to help program their mind so that when they go back in there and back into the jungle, they're able to defend themselves well. Because that's the work of the parent. Um, just because mm-hmm. you send them to a school doesn't mean you're off the hook. You've got to guide them in their learning process. That's mm. right. God has given us that responsibility, and we need to take it very seriously. Mm. Well, Renton, once again, we are just so grateful for the knowledge and wisdom that God has given you, and we very much appreciate you taking time to share that with our listeners today. 
for those parents and grandparents who want to learn more about how to practically teach critical thinking to their kids and grandkids, can you recommend some resources? One good source, uh, of course, is our uh, BJU Press's Biblical Worldview book. What's helpful about our Biblical Worldview book is that even if you, it's, it's kind of designed for 11th graders or somewhere, somewhere in there. But even if you don't have an 11th grader, if you have a first grader, um, reading through that as an adult is so helpful because what it does, it helps you think about these things and it gives you some patterns on how to think about things. Um, that book is the reason why I started working for BGU Press in the first place. I read that and I thought, they have something here. This is something that even challenged the way I think, so I need, I need to be a part of that world. So that's, mm. that's at least one resource that's really helpful for the adult, let alone um, you know, when your kid gets to the right age, but it's really helpful. It kind of gives you a framework on how to think about the world through a, through a lens um, that gives you that creation, fall, redemption lens that really helps you frame out the world. Mm. Okay, that is great. And listeners, we'll put a link to those items in today's show notes, as well as some videos of various talks Renton has done in the past. Those will be super helpful as well. All right, so now that we feel motivated and equipped to teach our children to think critically for God's glory, Renton, can you please leave us with a final word of encouragement? Absolutely. Um, I would leave you with this. Uh, if there are any men listening to this podcast... Do not rest all the weight of, um, of learning, of your children learning with your wife. Be a man that stands up and helps out and demonstrates to your children how leadership works and even leadership in thinking um, and be a help to your wife. I know that, that that may not sound so encouraging, but it is encouraging because <laughs> no matter where you are in your marriage, it's never too late to stand up and be a help. Thank you so much, Renton and Ginger, and thank you listeners for joining us today. If you enjoyed our show and want to hear more, please subscribe to our podcast wherever you're listening. And while you're there, can you leave us a rating or a review? This is a huge help to get the word out about our podcast so that other parents can be encouraged to reach the hearts of their children. Do you have a parenting question? Well, we invite you to submit it at gingerhubbard.com slash askginger, and we'll do our best to answer it in a future episode. And while you're on the website, you can find Ginger's wonderful resources that will help you get to the heart of outward behavior and address it from a biblical perspective. Today, we're offering her parenting book, I Can't Believe You Just Said That, Biblical Wisdom for Taming Your Child's Tongue, at a 10% discount when you use the code parenting at gingerhubbard.com. Ginger also offers a free discussion guide for this book on her website, which is great for book clubs and small group studies. If you'd like daily encouragement and parenting advice from Ginger, be sure to follow her on Instagram at ginger.hubbard. And you can connect with me on Instagram at Katie in a corner. That's K-A-T-Y in a corner. If your church might be interested in hosting Ginger and me for a women's event or bringing Ginger in for a parenting conference, please fill out the contact form at gingerhubbard.com and we'll get back to you with more information. Thank you so much for joining us today, listeners. We really look forward to being with you again next week. Until then, may God bless you as you seek to reach the hearts of your children for the glory of God.